welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles, let's find Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. If you find your place in Nehemiah chapter four, I want to ask you for your forgiveness first. It's Father's Day. And on Father's Day, I can't think of a better time to tell some dad jokes than on Father's Day. My kids are already embarrassed because they know and my staff knows I love dad jokes. I got a Christmas gift this past year of a calendar. It has a dad joke for every day. And so here's what I want to say to you. I know some of you don't like dad jokes, but the reason you don't like them is you can't think deeply enough to understand them. So let's try a few. You ready? I said, are you ready? All right, here we go. What's another name for an iPhone power cord? Apple juice. Well, all right, we'll try again. Last night, my obese parrot died. It was tough, but it was a weight off of my shoulder. sweater I bought was full of static electricity. So I returned it. They gave me another one free of charge. (laughs) I told this one in the first service because I thought Stacy was in the second service. And I told it while she was sitting over there, but I'll just tell it again since she's not in her. I haven't talked to my wife in two years. I didn't want to interrupt her. Do they allow loud laughing in Hawaii? Or is it just aloha? (laughs) Here's my favorite one that you won't get, but I do, and it's my favorite one. What is orange and sounds like a parrot? A carrot. (laughs) Some of you have to get that explained to you on the way home. Nehemiah chapter four. That was fun. All right, Nehemiah chapter four. We have been in a series through the book of Nehemiah called Against All Odds. We know that Nehemiah and some of the people of God have returned to Jerusalem and their endeavor is to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. It is a very worthwhile endeavor. And as we saw last week, Nothing of value, nothing of eternal value goes without some opposition against it. And Nehemiah and the people of God, after they have left 70 years of Babylonian captivity, have made their way to Jerusalem. The wall is halfway built, but over and over and over, they will deal with opposition. It's some 100 years later now, and the walls still lay in ruin. And part of that is because there has been opposition to their work. Last week, we talked about overcoming opposition. 
where in the first six verses, we met a guy by the name of Sanballat. Sanballat was wroth, the Bible says. He was angry that the people of God had begun the building on this wall because a strong Jerusalem, he didn't have the kind of power that he once had. And so he began by trying to ridicule the people. He began to mock and make fun of the people of God, thinking that if he would make fun of them, that somehow it would discourage them enough and distract them enough to stop the work. What Nehemiah and the people of God are about to find out is that while the enemy came against them once in the first part of chapter four, the enemy is going to return again. And the enemy has come up with a plan now to completely destroy and to discourage the work of God. But Nehemiah is going to display the kind of leadership that dads, we should display when the enemy comes against us and against our families. And it's not just how dads and fathers should respond. It's a lesson for all of us as believers to understand how do we respond when the enemy comes against us again and again and again. So this morning, I wanna preach from Nehemiah chapter four, a sermon entitled, Some Things Are Worth Fighting For. Some things are worth fighting for. And if you'll talk to me while I preach, I'll get you out of here so you can get to the lake this afternoon. Let's stand together and read the word of God, beginning in Nehemiah chapter four. Some things are worth fighting for. Let's begin reading in verse seven of chapter four. If you're there, say Amen. But it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there's much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us 10 times, from all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be ye not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. It came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. And came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both spears and shields and the bows and the habergeons. And rulers were behind all those, all the house of Judah. And they which built it on the wall that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with, of his hands wrought in the work. And with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side. And so build it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Heavenly Father, help us this morning 
to understand that there are some things worth fighting for. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Nehemiah was keenly aware now that the enemy would not stop. The enemy came against him in the first six verses and he just began to pray and God gave him victory. But in verse seven, there's another attack that is being conspired against the people of God. And the people of God are made aware of this new attack that the enemy is going to launch. They're about halfway finished with the wall. Morale is pretty high. Things are going pretty well. But then they hear of this new attack that is coming from the enemy. And fear began to set in in the people of God. And fear led to discouragement. So much discouragement that even in verse 10, some of the folks of the tribe of Judah said, we're not able to do this. We, we, we simply cannot do this. And it seems that despair has set in. And fear is that source of despair and discouragement. But Nehemiah is going to step on the scene. In the midst of a people that have said, I'm not sure we can do this. Nehemiah steps on the scene and says, there are some things worth fighting for. And I'm going to show you how Nehemiah leads the people of God. Notice with me a few things this morning. We're going to see the participants in the fight, the plans of the foe, and the prevention of failure. But first of all, let's cover the participants in the fight. Who is it that's coming against the nation of Israel? Who is it that's coming against Nehemiah and the people of God? Well, it's the same folks that we found in chapter four. Number one, there are enemies on the outside. It seems that it is true in the days of the scriptures and it is true today. Israel seems to always be surrounded by her enemies. It seems that no one around Israel wants what is best for Israel, but everyone around Israel wants to somehow destroy Israel. Look at verse seven. Came to pass, Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabians, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. Listen, here's what they did. They completely surrounded the enemies who, listen, hated each other, come together to surround the city of Jerusalem so that they can stop the work and the will of God. It seemed like they were completely surrounded. Let me ask you a question. You ever felt like you were completely surrounded by the enemy? You ever felt like when you took a step in the direction of the Lord Jesus, when you began to do a work mighty for the cause of Christ, that the enemy somehow seemed to completely surround you? Our Lord knows what that's about because in Psalm 22 and verse 12, it says, many bulls have compassed me. They have, they have gathered around me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. He says, I am completely surrounded. But then Psalm chapter 34 says this, the angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and delivers them. Michael W. Smith said it this way. It might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by him. And when it seems that the enemy has you surrounded, just understand you've got one that is greater than any enemy that you've ever had that surrounds you and will fight for you because he'll fight through you because you are more than a conqueror. The enemy saw that progress was being made. The enemy saw that the walls were getting higher and higher, that the gaps were being filled. And the goal of the enemy was nothing more than to put a stop to the work of God. And there's something interesting in this verse I want you to notice. Look at verse 8. 
The Bible says all of these enemies come together and conspired. Look at this now, conspired. What's the next four words? Let's read the next four words together. And conspired all of them together. Why is it and why does it seem that the enemies of God can all come together for a common cause that is evil? And yet God's people have a hard time coming together to get behind anything. Is that not true? I mean, you see the enemies of the book, man, they come against the book now, but we, we busy fighting about stuff that don't matter. So there's some enemies on the outside and here's what happened. These enemies came together and I told you they didn't like each other, but they found a common enemy in Israel. And I've talked about this before, but let me touch on it again. There is power in a common enemy. Let me show you how, how it works. Here we go. All right, here's how it works. Clemson is playing Alabama. So all of Clemson, what we do, what we, what do we do? We hate Alabama, right? We just hate them. We want, we, we want them to, to never cross midfield. We hate Alabama, right? Gamecocks play Alabama. And the Gamecocks hate Alabama. And they want to kill Alabama, right? But then who do we pull for? The people we just hated. <laughs> so we team up with Alabama to hate the Gamecocks. That's the power of a common. You will get hooked up with a crimson tide, whatever that is. <laughs> we will hook up with a crimson tide because we dislike somebody else more. And don't look at me holding you Gamecock fans because y'all know that when, when, when y'all will get in with a crimson tide too to hate the Tigers. Go ahead. Amen. It's the power of a common enemy. Now I'm gonna call time out on my sermon for just a moment because what I'm about to tell you is not holy at all, but it is good advice. I want all you men to look up here at me. You ever been getting, you, have you ever gotten the silent treatment? Don't raise your hand. But you know what I'm talking about. You got the silent treatment. You all gonna? Let me tell you how to eliminate the silent treatment. You ready? Are you guys listening to me? Find a common enemy. There's somebody that she can't stand. And just bring that name up. And she'll start talking. You don't care what she's talking about. You just want her to talk to you. And then you can say, I ain't never liked the way she dressed either. <laughs> and boom, your relationship is mended because now you've begun talking again. The power of a common enemy. I told you what, nothing holy about that whatsoever. But it is true. <laughs> Some of y'all visiting going, I don't know if we're coming back here. Listen. I don't know if I would either if I was you. <laughs> so as we consider the participants in the fight, there's the enemies on the outside. But unfortunately for Nehemiah, there were some enemies on the inside. Verse 10, Judah said, the strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. The people of Judah said, 
we can't even do this. You would have expected the tribe of Judah to be a source of encouragement, not a source of discouragement. So what's happening? What has happened to the tribe of Judah for them to be so down and out about this and so discouraging about this? What what has the tribe of Judah done that would cause them to appear to be even enemies of the work of God? If you look in Nehemiah chapter six, you don't have to go there now, but in Nehemiah chapter six, verses 17 and 18, Tobiah, who is one of these enemies, and the people of the tribe of Judah are having a letter writing campaign one to another because they're pretty tight. And the people of God find out that this attack is coming from Tobiah in this letter that they receive. And they're so intimidated by this letter that they try to sabotage the work by saying, we can't do this because they're going to come against us and they're going to kill us. But there's a couple of reasons that there were some enemies on the inside. Number one, there were the relationships that they loved. You see, Tobiah had a close relationship with the tribe of Judah through his wife and through his daughter-in-law. Through forbidden marriages, there was some relation there. And those forbidden marriages produced disloyalty amongst many of the tribe of Judah. Remember the story of Ezra where the people of God intermarried with pagans and it created problems? Same thing here. The pagan intermarrying with non-believers and non-Jews created a problem in the family of faith. It'll be the same thing today. You get married to somebody that is not a believer. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. We are not to do missionary dating. And every parent said, and every parent said, you get unequally yoked and there'll be a problem in the family. And you think, oh, she's so beautiful though. Oh, he's so handsome. If they don't love Jesus and they're not a born again believer, the scripture commands you to stay away. And the church said, because it caused problems for Nehemiah, it'll cause problems for you. The relationships that they loved Man, those relationships hindered the man of God and hampered the move of God. But then secondly, there's the region that they lived. We see in verse 12 that they dwelt by them. They lived as close to the enemy as they could without being one of the enemy. They got as close as they could without becoming one of them. That's a deception that the enemy often uses against us is let's get as close to the world as we can possibly be, but not be of the world but let's get as close as we can. And so we see, first of all, the participants in the fight. Here's Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arabians, the Ammonites, the Astrodites. They have, they have surrounded Israel, and yet there's enemies on the outside and on the inside. Those are the participants in the fight. Secondly, notice with me the plans of the foe. So what is it that they have planned? What, what are they going to do to stop the work of God? Because ultimately that was their goal. And they can see things are going well. The enemy can see the wall is halfway built and they want to put a stop to that progress. And how would the enemy do that? Number one, they tried to sidetrack the project. They wanted to sidetrack the project. We talked about this last week, but the first plan included keeping the people distracted from what was important. 
The last part of verse eight says, when they came together to fight against Jerusalem, they wanted to hinder it. That means they wanted to hinder the work of God. They wanted to keep the people so distracted that the main thing would not be the main thing anymore. And that plan to distract still happens today. We are so distracted in this country. We are so distracted by so many things. We can be distracted by boats and ball and ballerinas. We can be distracted by fishing and fun and phones. And it's not necessarily bad things that keep us distracted, but they keep us distracted and keep us from engaging in life. You want to see how distracted we are? Go to a sit-down restaurant. Order your meal. Leave your phone in the car and just people watch for a minute. And what do you see families of four, families of five, families of six sitting at the table? They've ordered their food and what are they doing? And here's what's terrible. I'm preaching to the guy in the pulpit just as much as I'm preaching to the people in the pew. Because it can become such a distraction to us, can it not? And when we're distracted, we are not engaged. God help us to not be distracted from the main thing. and To engage in the battle. There was a plan to sidetrack them. I put in my notes here. When you see those folks, are they engaged in conversation? Are they enjoying family time together? Are they playing Candy Crush, Wordle, or whatever? I can't do Wordle, by the way. I'm just terrible at it. Do y'all do Wordle? Two people, good. <laughs> there was a plan to sidetrack, but then the plan was to not only sidetrack the people, but there was a plan to slaughter the people. Look what the Word says in verse 11. Our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and what? And slay them. In the first few verses, they were mocking them and now they're ready to murder them. Do you understand that the enemy is not playing with us? The enemy wants to destroy and to devour you. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. We are in a struggle for life and death and we cannot afford to play around and tolerate sin. If we treat sin with kid gloves, we will pay a hefty, hefty price. Their plan was to sidetrack the project, to slaughter the project and to stop the progress. Look at verse 11. The last part of verse 11 says to slay them and to cause the work to cease. Now they've made significant progress. They're halfway done. The breaches are starting to be filled. And the enemy knew that. But they also knew there was still much work to do. And Sanballat and Tobiah and the enemies of the people of God said, listen, I know they've made a lot of progress, but you just keep on coming against them because there's still a long way for them to go and we'll discourage them, defeat them, and destroy them. You think about what's happened in this place in the last several years. There's been a mighty move of God. We've seen people saved, 
baptized. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen, seen lives changed for the cause of Christ. We've seen many come and join our fellowship. We've seen facilities built and paid for. We've seen people discipled. We've seen people delivered from victor, delivered from defeat, have victory over circumstances in their lives. And while there's so much that has been done, I believe there's still a long ways to go because this Community needs to see a, a, a light on a hill, a, a beacon that shines the bright light for the cause of Christ. There is still a long way to go. And what you and I have to understand is although there's been some significant progress, there's still a long ways to go. And the enemy knows that just as much as we know that. So when he comes to surround us, when he comes to discourage us, when he comes to distract us, we must be on task and not be distracted from the main things. Some of you individually, God's begun to do a great work in your own life individually. You, you, you've begun having a quiet time again. You've begun reading your Bible again. You've begun coming back to church again and, and God's doing something in your life. And I just want to encourage you today. Keep on keeping on. Don't get distracted because the enemy sees what's happening as well. And he wants to discourage and hinder the work that is happening inside of you individually as well. But you just stay with the main thing. There's the participants in the fight. There's the plans of the foe. But then thirdly, there's the prevention of failure. All right, so here we are. Walls halfway built. We discover a plan of the enemy. And they're going to come take us out. How are we going to respond? Nehemiah is going to give us some wonderful instructions of how we should respond when it seems we're surrounded by the enemy. Notice, first of all, there was a faithful prayer. Look back at verse nine. Nehemiah says, nevertheless, made we our prayer unto God. When the enemy mocked the people of God in the first six verses, Nehemiah and the people of God just began to pray. And now there, there's a plot to murder the people of God and Nehemiah and the people are going to respond the same way. We made our prayer unto the Lord. Dad, the, the greatest thing you can do to prevent failure in the family is to pray. And this is not a new tactic, but it is one of those disciplines in the life of many, many people who call themselves Christians that is so weak and anemic. We know we know we should pray. We know we should be on our face before God. We know we should be interacting with the Lord on a daily basis. And yet we let other things take priority because we become distracted and discouraged. But dad, hear me this morning. The greatest thing you can do for your family is to fall on your knees and pray for them. We talked about how our enemy wants to completely devour and destroy us. You want to put the enemy at bay inside your own family? Be faithful to pray. There was faithful prayer, but then there was fearless prompting. Now, I want to tell you, I've preached all this time to get to where I am right now, so lean in. This is my favorite part. All right, we're in Jerusalem. And for the sake of this example, I'll be Nehemiah for a minute. And we're the people of God, and we're halfway finished, but we're a little bit discouraged because we have found out that the enemy is coming against us. 
And Nehemiah is going to stand up and he's going to give a pregame speech like, like no other. Now, I love athletics. I, I just love athletics. And Nehemiah about to give a pregame speech. I'm talking about in the locker room, getting ready to go out, and coach is coming in and going to deliver one of those barn-burning speeches to rev us up, right? I remember a story about Jimmy Valvano. Y'all remember Jimmy Valvano? He was the coach of the NC State Wolfpack. They won a national championship. Cindy Lowe. Uh, uh, who was the guy that dunked it at the end? Lorenzo Charles. All right? So, so Jimmy Valvano is a brand-new coach. He's young. He don't yet know what he's doing, but he has a desire to deliver the greatest pregame speech that has ever been delivered to the NC State Wolfpack before they go out on the floor to play a basketball game. So he, he's, he's researching some coaches and trying to discover any pregame speeches that might help him when he goes to talk to his team. And so he reads about Vince Lombardi, the Hall of Fame coach from the Green Bay Packers, right? And he reads this speech that Lombardi would give to the team before they went out. And he said, there's three things that you gotta love. You gotta love your family. You gotta love your friends. And you gotta love Green Bay Packer football. And Jimmy Valvano listened to that man and he was so moved by it. He said, that's what I'm gonna use. I'm gonna use Vince Lombardi's speech. And man, he's hiding in the locker room, waiting on the guys. You know, they're up on the floor. They're warming up, getting ready to come down to the locker room. And when they come down to the locker room, man, he's gonna deliver that speech. He can't wait to deliver this speech, man. He, he's, he's so fired up. He didn't want to see any of the team before he came in. So they go in the locker room, they shut the door, and they say, Valvano comes in and kicks the door open and says, men, let me tell you something. If we're going to win this game today, if we're going to win today, there's three things you got to love. You got to love your, friend, your family, you got to love your friends, and you got to love Green Bay Packer football. And while Jimmy Valvano might have misspoken, Nehemiah don't. I want you to listen to the pregame speech of Nehemiah. You ready? We're in the locker room. Any of you that's played athletics, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you're sitting there, and your legs, I mean, you're ready, you're ready to go. I mean, the adrenaline is flowing, and you're ready to go, right? And your coach comes in. That's what Nehemiah's about to do. Listen to what he says. And I looked and rose up, verse 14, and said unto the nobles, to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, here's the pregame speech, be ye not afraid of them. Don't you be afraid of them. Who are they? Don't you be afraid. Then he says this, remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. That word translated is awesome. He is great and awesome. And here's what he says. You fight for your brethren. You fight for your sons. You fight for your daughters. You fight for your wives and you fight for your houses because there's some things worth fighting for. He says this, hey men, listen to me. There's some things worth fighting for. Our faith is worth fighting for. Listen, this wall project that they were doing was, was much more than just a wall. It was about their worship. It was about their God. Listen, we've got a culture that has created a God in their own image. They've blasphemed the Lord and you and I must stand and fight the culture for the cause of Christ. Our faith is worth fighting for. If somebody says to me, there's a bunch of ways to heaven, you just be a good person and you'll make it. I'll stand and say, no, there's not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth 
truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. If somebody comes to me and says, well, I don't know that Mary was really a virgin. I don't know about that. I'll stand flat-footed and fight for the faith and say what the Bible says is what the Bible says. It is an, an absolute truth that we must believe every word of it. Our faith is worth fighting for. Not only is your faith worth fighting for, your family's worth fighting for. You show me a man that won't fight somebody over his wife, I'll show you a sissy. Your wife is worth fighting for, men. God calls her a precious vessel. And he says, whoso finds a wife, finds a good thing. You take care of your good thing. You take care of her. You fight for her. You love her because there's some things where your marriage is worth fighting for. Hey, he goes on and he says, your sons, your daughters, they're worth fighting for. You mess with one of them two girls right there. You may take me out, but I'm coming back. <laughs> and you mess with that little one and you won't live to see it. And I hope you feel the same way. Don't you feel the same way about your, somebody coming against your kids? I mean, have you ever been to a little league baseball game? You want to see some mamas get fired up? You let their kids strike out on a borderline strike. <sighs> Our faith is worth fighting for. Our families are worth fighting for. Our future is worth fighting for. The very future of Jerusalem was on the line. The, the future of the Jewish faith was on the line. What kind of future will our church have? What kind of future will our children have if we don't stand in this place where God has put us and fight the good fight of faith? I just returned from the Southern Baptist Convention and there's a couple of things I know about Baptists, and one of them is we love a good fight. And I'm telling you that there's some things worth fighting for. Your family, your faith, and our future is worth fighting for. But before they ever went to battle, they found themselves on their knees in prayer. You know what I've discovered? A lot of those fights that I think I'm about to have to have, when I find myself on my knees in prayer, God seems to just take care of those things for me. The songwriter said it this way, I prepare for battle on my knees. You see, the prevention of failure, there was a faithful prayer, there was a fervent prompting, but then notice with me the very last thing, there was full participation. Watch this. Watch verse 15. Came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us. God brought their counsel to naught that we returned. All of us. All of us to the wall. Everyone do the work. 
there was full participation. It would be, as, if we go back to our example, it would be as if I was Nehemiah and I said, hey, let's go. And every single person said, let's go. Not one person, they said every, there was full participation. Now here's what we're gonna find out. They completed this wall in 52 days. You think that's ready? They loved their family, they loved their friends, and they loved Green Bay Packer football, man. They loved the work of God. And every single one of them got involved. Why? Because some things are worth fighting for. Sir, I challenge you today, the greatest place for you to start is on your knees in prayer. That number one, God would do a work in your heart like he's never done before. Sin problem in your life, today's the day to get it taken care of. Some secret sin you think nobody knows about, today's the day to get it taken care of. Find yourself in, a, in an altar. Plead the blood of Jesus. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. That's where we got to start, men. On our knees, being right with God first. And then if God's gifted you with a precious family, the next thing you can do is pray that God would bless your precious family and protect them and watch over them. And let them see a leader that calls on the one that can do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. See, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can't get in the fight. Because the fight begins once you surrender your life to Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, I want to invite you today. In just a moment, we'll stand to our feet. You come and put your hand in mine and just say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I don't know my eternity. I'd love to walk you through the Word of God and help you understand what it means to have everlasting life and a home in heaven. Dads, some of us ought to find ourselves in an altar this morning. Christian, some of us ought to find ourselves on an altar this morning because some things are worth fighting for. We are fighting for the future generations here at this church. We're investing significant dollars in the next generation because we believe the next generation needs to hear that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We think the next generation needs to hear that God is the creator of life. We need, to hear, we need the next generation to hear that God created them male and female. We need to hear the next generation be taught that for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. We need to hear them understand that when they become a Christian, they become a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Our next generation needs to hear that there should be holiness of living for those who claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ. They need to hear the truth of the Word of God. And our future is worth fighting for. And I'm thankful to be in a church that has, for the lack of a better term, 
put our money where our mouth is. You have given so generously for the future generations that they might hear the truth of the word of God. Can you imagine walking down the hallways of that building, looking in one of those little rooms, one of those little babies that has grown up. I see a little carry-all right there. That little baby in just a few years will be in that building. Can you imagine going in there and that little baby growing up becoming the next wonderful evangelist that makes a impact for the cause of Christ around the world? I don't know what God's going to do in the future. I just know this. We better be fighting for the future because the enemy will come against us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I'll close with this. Nehemiah said, you get on the wall. Nehemiah said, get on the wall and you you get your trial in one hand and you get your sword in the other. And he said, while you work, you have your sword ready. And when the enemy comes, you draw the sword and say, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I say, church, there are some things worth fighting for. Let's stand to our feet. We'll have a song of invitation. Hey, we need to find a spot in the altar and get started because we start the battle on our knees. Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.